Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with you. Elise and I were away in Israel, and then I had a couple of weeks of study leave. It's good to be back. Missed you guys. We are going to be starting a new brief series this summer on the book of Proverbs. It's entitled Living Wisely. Today's message will come out of Proverbs chapter 1, so if you open a Bible and turn there, it's right after the Psalms. It's right in the middle. And as you turn there, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for Old Testament and New Testament, for the life that it gives us, the grace that it offers us. And we thank you that you pour out your spirit upon us to teach us, to give us understanding, to make us wise. So we ask for this gift again today. Help us to hear from you, to understand, and to leave this place living what we've learned. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're wondering why it is that we will spend a few weeks in the Proverbs, given all that's happening right now with conflict all over the world, more, they say, than any time since World War II. Um, inflation zeroing out our savings and all of the social issues that are driving our nation mad. And the answer, is that we need wisdom. In every situation we face, from the global scale down to the mundane decisions of life, we need wisdom. Greater wisdom, God's wisdom. That's what we're seeking. And on behalf of our clergy, I'm not implying that we think you're fools. <laughs> not at all. It's a great privilege to be a pastor in a church that is uh, so bright and so accomplished. And we're always learning from you. I'm very thankful to be friends with you and to learn from you every day. But everybody needs wisdom. Everybody does. And perhaps we need it more living in this place with the various callings that we have. Um, we're both blessed and cursed, aren't we, with this stream of decisions always flowing at us, a constant stream of decisions that we have to make. Sometimes the choices that we face are ones that the Bible is very clear about, black and white sorts of decisions. Should I steal? Should I commit adultery? No. The Bible's very clear. Should I honor my mother and father? Yes. The Bible's very clear. We're very thankful for those clear answers, even if what it entails isn't always easy. But in so many other instances, the Bible does not give us explicit answers, right? It doesn't give us explicit answers. For example, um, what should you do with your time and your money and your gifts and your passions? Should you take one job or another? Should you go back to school? Should you drop out of school? Should you uh, move away from D.C.? Should you move home? Should you move somewhere far away? Should you adopt a child, start a business, get a dog, give up social media, buy a house, and on and on and on, right? There's all of these decisions that we face, and the Bible does not give us an explicit answer on these questions. It's not just the big decisions either, it's also those little ones should I stay up and watch another episode? Should I have another spoonful of peanut butter from the jar? 
should I buy a lottery ticket? So, we need wisdom for all of these things, for the big and the small. And while the Bible doesn't provide explicit answers to these questions, it does teach us how to go about making these decisions. And that's actually a really good thing if you think about it, because the largest library in the world couldn't hold the Bible that would have explicit answers to all of these questions, right? We sooner or later have to learn decision-making from God. God wants us to have our hearts and minds shaped so much like his because of our love for him and our knowledge of him that as a child knows a parent, as a child knows what he or she should do when mom or dad isn't around in the same way that we know how to make these kinds of decisions because we know God that well. And that's why we have the book of Proverbs and the larger wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Proverbs is a, a book of essential and foundational instruction in godly wisdom. The Proverbs aren't the complete solution to our discernment needs, of course. They won't answer all of our questions, but sort of like algebra, before you get to calculus, the Proverbs are to Christian decision-making. You can't undertake calculus without mastery of algebra, right? And in the same way, you um, can't be a master at Christian decision-making without learning wisdom, learning wisdom from the Bible. That's what the Proverbs are for. So reading Proverbs is not an elective course for those who already have life figured out. It's foundational for Christian discernment. Reading and rereading this book empowers us to make wise, godly decisions in the gray areas of life. So as we turn to Proverbs, let me give you a quick overview of the book, really simple outline. It's got three parts to it. The first part is a nine-chapter introduction, a little bit of a long introduction that is an argument for living wisely in communion with the Lord. We're going to read the first chapter of that this morning. The second part, this is the major part, this is the part that is, is the, the name of the book comes from, the Proverbs, is filled with these little nuggets, right? These pithy nuggets of wisdom typically one verse, and uh, they're, so they're sort of poetic, and they teach us something wise. Like in chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise person listens to the advice of others. 21 chapters of these little nuggets, uh, right at the heart of the book. Not the kind of thing you want to read in one sitting. That would not be wise. <laughs> But to become wise, you read a little at a time, all the time, for the rest of your life. That's a prescription for wisdom. And then right at the very end, the third and last part of the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, gives us a compelling illustration of Proverbs in action. If you put all of this wisdom into practice, you know what it looks like? It looks like someone thriving and bearing fruit in every aspect of their lives. In this case, a virtuous woman. Gentlemen, Proverbs 31 is for you. It is for you. 
It is not to be skipped over, nor is it just the guide for finding a suitable wife. Ladies, Proverbs 31 should not be relegated to the annual casserole get-together or whatever it is, right? It's for everybody because it is a picture of what wisdom looks like. When we're flourishing in wisdom, we look like this woman, this noble, virtuous woman. It's wisdom's grand finale. It gives us a vision for what all of us can become if we follow God's ways and we, we learn them and we put them into practice. So that's a simple outline of the book of Proverbs, and uh, today, in the time that remains, I want to look just at chapter one, this introductory section, and, and get a feel for it. And as we work through chapter one, we're going to see the answer to four questions. What is wisdom? Who is it for? Where do we start? Where should we begin? And then which way do we go? So what is wisdom? Just looking at the first three verses. And the, the first rule of woodworking is that you need to find the grain of the wood, right? And then you have to go with the grain in your planing and your sanding and your um, painting or staining. And when you do, you can expect to have a smooth and beautiful finish on whatever, whatever it is you're building. If you don't go with the grain, you'll have a rough and jagged mess. It's very much the same with the world that God has made. It's folly to try to go against the grain of God's world. It may appear that it's the easy way to go, to go against the grain. It may appear that there's a shortcut to prosperity if you'll just take this other way. But in the end, it always leads to rough and jagged messes every time. But there is another way of living that goes with the grain of, of God's universe, the way that he made it. With, it's not just his creation, but it goes with his heart. It goes with his design for everything. And as we'll see, that's the essence of wisdom. Take a look at the purpose for the book of Proverbs in verses 2 and 3. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. What we discover right at the very beginning is wisdom is very different from, from what we would think of as the kind of knowledge, uh, the raw information of our data-driven era. Wisdom describes skill. It describes know-how, lore, dexterity, in living in God's wor world. It's living specifically in harmony with the way that he made not only the physical universe, but also what he expects of human society. Just as there are consequences for stirring up a hornet's nest, just as it's folly to hold up your golf club on the hill in a thunderstorm, so also there are consequences for being lazy on the job. There are consequences for cheating your employees. There are consequences for overly disciplining your children or not disciplining them enough. This is the way God made the world and wisdom finds the grain of this universe and wisdom goes with the grain. Proverbs are meant to teach us the art of living in alignment with God, going with the grain of how he made things. 
It's not something, by the way, that we intuit automatically. That's the second word. It's the word instruction in verse 2. That's the sense of this word. Unlike those, some birds, you know, are born right out of the egg and fly that very same day. We're not like that. We're born with a couple of deficits. One, we're born ignorant. We need to be trained. And then secondly, we also are born with the problem of sin. And sin makes us not want to learn, not, not appreciate our teachers, fighting against them oftentimes. And this is a real problem for us in this world of instruction. So learning wisdom is a struggle. There's pain involved in learning, and often we have to learn wisdom the hard way, which means that the pursuit of biblical wisdom isn't intellectualism. It's not about making us theological nerds. Rather, it's very relational. It's experiential. It's tacit knowledge, for those of you who are Polani fans. It's, um, as we grow in wisdom, we become increasing, increasingly skillful for going with the grain. And so, verse 3, generally speaking, those who practice wisdom should expect to bear the fruit of righteousness, of justice, and equity. Wisdom is about making us righteous in the Old Testament Hebrew sense of this word righteous, the tzaddik. That's the, the uh, hero of the Old Testament in many respects. The tzaddik is the righteous one, the virtuous neighbor, like the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, the one who is trusted to do what is best for the community in terms of justice and mercy. When the world gets rough, the tzaddik goes with the grain and smooths things out. Just look at the end of the book and you'll see how this is modeled by the virtuous woman. Now I skipped over the heading at the very beginning of the book in verse 1. Let me mention that. Uh, and now I think we can read that and you can get a sense for based on what wisdom is, uh, a bit of a context for how wisdom gets used. Um, Proverbs begins with a heading associating its contents with a particular era in Israel when uh, Solomon was king, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And this is a time of Israel being at the height of its political power, its cultural influence, a time of peace and prosperity. And this helps us know the context of how the Proverbs work. We're going to discover over the next few weeks that the Proverbs give us general principles for how to live in a relatively ordered society at a time when things are working right. When Solomon was king, Israel's government was at its best. So the economy and education and diplomacy and justice and so on were all at their best. And in such times, if you live wisely, you have every reason to expect that you will enjoy prosperity. Which is not to say that you shouldn't endeavor to live wisely in times of chaos. It's just that chaos adds complexity to the Proverbs. So, for example, a number of the Proverbs take sluggards to task for being lazy, and it's rightly so. But if you live in a war-torn country, uh, if you live in Ukraine right now, um, the proverbs about laziness probably don't apply. There are other reasons why people are not prospering, right? So, and by the way, the proverbs don't always associate wisdom with prosperity or folly 
with poverty. There are a number of better than Proverbs sprinkled throughout. Um, for example, Proverbs 16.8, better is little with righteousness than great revenue with injustice, right? Better is little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The Proverbs ultimately point to God's future justice when he sets everything to right, rights in our world, when, when all of these things get sorted out. But generally speaking, the Proverbs point us towards prosperity for living wisely. Sometimes, however, there are people who live wisely and end up suffering. And the answer to that, in the end, is Jesus, who came and suffered despite his wisdom, so that we might prosper, right? He became poor so that we might be rich. More on that a little later. So that's what wisdom is. Let's see who wisdom is for, verses four through six. Look at verse four, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. In Proverbs, the simple is kind of a technical term describing people who for one reason or another haven't yet learned wisdom. And so they get taken advantage of very easily. They need wisdom to learn how God's world works so they don't hold a golf club up in a thunderstorm, right? And uh, so that evil people don't take advantage of them. Youth, likewise, verse 4, need wisdom. They need knowledge and discretion. There it is again, not just information, but they need skill and the good sense to know how to use the information that they've gained. They want to use it for righteousness, for flourishing rather than sin and death. But, but continuing on, look at verses 5 and 6. It's not just the simple and the youth who need wisdom. Listen, old people, listen to this. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. You are never too old for wisdom. You will never master this category in your life. Wise people are those who come back to God's word over and over and over again, every day, every week, every year, all their lives, coming back to the whole counsel of God, including the Proverbs, again and again to revitalize and sharpen their skills of discernment. So, wisdom is skill for living in God's world, going with the grain, and it is for everybody. If you're hearing this message, wisdom is for you. Third question, where do we begin? Look at verse 7. The starting point for acquiring wisdom isn't conceptual. It doesn't begin with an idea. It begins with a relationship with God. He's the author and the source of all wisdom. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is this constant refrain through all of the wisdom books. It, it's like 60 times in the wisdom literature, especially in Proverbs. It describes the posture that we take in relationship to God. It doesn't mean that we're always anxious around God, that we're always waiting for him to strike us down. God is not a psychotic piano teacher slamming your fingers Every time you miss a note, you know, that's not who we're supposed to think of him. Listen to this bit of wisdom from Psalm 103, talking about the Lord. The Lord is merciful and gracious. 
He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Wisdom. Wisdom teaches us that God knows us, that he made us, and he loves us, so we mustn't be afraid of him. The fear of the Lord really speaks to how we should approach him as, as our loving father, as our gracious king. He deserves humi our humility and our respect. And it means that, that we really do trust that he knows better than we do. In spite of all that we've learned, in spite of all the wisdom that we've gained, we still have more to learn from him. And so we have this posture before him that there's more to be had. And we, we come bowing before him, asking him to apprentice us a little longer in his woodshop. Teach us a little more about the grain. How does it work? Show us. We want to be like you, Father. Teach us. Listen, God showers his blessings upon us all the time. And if you're starting to fear him in the wrong ways, it's time to sit, be still before him, and just start writing out thanksgivings one after another after another. We have so much that we take for granted. Sometimes he disciplines us. This too is love. We have to remember that this is a sign of love. God is not malicious, but like a good father, the scriptures say, he disciplines those whom he loves. He corrects, he reproves, he teaches us in wisdom, not only so that we might thrive in his world, but also so that we might enjoy communion with him. That's, that's at the very heart of this wisdom. And we do that in part by doing what he does and by loving what he loves. So we have to learn more and more to go with the grain of the world that he's made. So the fear of the Lord is our starting point. This is where we begin growing in wisdom. And then generally speaking, wisdom is learned in community. The next couple of verses talk about mom and dad. And uh, in the Bible, that always refers to all of our authorities, right? Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. When things are right in the world, wisdom gets passed down from father and mother to children, from old folks to young folks, and so on. Not primarily through textbooks, but through mentoring and doing life together and talking about it. So wisdom is relational. Like, it's like our water supply. It comes to us through a long process to get to our tap. And if you trace those pipes all the way back, you'll find the source. And just as the taps go dry, if the spring gets clogged, so also an entire community or even a nation can become fools if they dis disconnect from the source, if they disconnect from the Lord. He is the source of all wisdom. 
whether through reading his word directly or through learning from mentors and teachers. Our growth and wisdom depends upon being connected to him. We have to stay connected. If we cut off that connection, we will become fools. So wisdom is a skill for living in God's world, for going with the grain of the world that he made. And wisdom is for everyone. And if you're hearing this message, it's for you. And the starting point for wisdom is a relationship with the Lord. And now fourth and finally, which way to go? Very briefly, which way to go? The rest of Proverbs chapter 1 and really the next uh, eight chapters is like an extended version of Psalm 1. You know, there are two paths, two ways to go. There's the way of the wicked and there's the way of the righteous. Two ways to walk, and we are standing at the crossroads. Which way shall we go? One way looks like it is the clear winner because it is the fast way. It's kind of a tortoise and hare sort of thing here. Uh, those on that path are calling. See verse 11. They're saying, come with us. Join us in a surefire, get-rich-quick scheme. Verse 13, we'll fill our houses with plunder, but don't you listen to them. Don't you do it, because that way is a trap. Look at verse 17, birds aren't fooled by nets that are spread for them, but all of us who try to take the easy road, this get-rich-quick scheme, all of us end up just fooling ourselves. We trick ourselves into this. We're essentially, verse 18, setting an ambush for our own lives. We've all done this many times over. We've all tried to take shortcuts to go against the grain of God's world. Perhaps you're, you're even doing this right now, today. Maybe you find yourself taking a shortcut. You know that you shouldn't, you're feeling all of the roughness of it because you're going against the grain. You're on a road that leads to destruction. It feels like it's the shortcut. It is not going to work. It gets steeper the further you go and your brakes will give out. The bridge is out down below. You won't survive the danger. Your only option is to turn around to go the other way. It was the other path that you should have chosen. Look at verse 20. God's wisdom is calling out everywhere. In the marketplace, verse 20. In the streets, verse 21. In the city gates, asking, verse 22, how long will you go the wrong way? How long will you love what is evil and hate what is good? It's time, verse 23, to turn around. And here's the gospel center of chapter 1, the beginning of the Proverbs. Here's the gospel center, verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Here's the gospel invitation of the Proverbs. The Lord is gracious and merciful to all those who turn and follow him. He will heal you. He will teach you. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. He will make his words known to you. He will make you wise. This is why he sent Jesus into our world. Jesus sees us and he has compassion for us on this steep road to destruction. 
He finds us down in the valley of the shadows where we've already been robbed and beaten up and left for dead. He binds us, binds, binds our wounds, he anoints us with oil and wine, and he carries us back to safety at his own cost. He gives all that he has in order to rescue us from folly and perversity and poverty. He became poor so that we might become rich. Here's where the Proverbs are going. The justice of God's world is guaranteed. You can never be certain of when he will act, but the consequences of folly eventually will catch up with every one of us apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't keep going against the grain, expecting life to be smooth sooner or later. One day, the trap that we have set for ourselves will spring shut, and then it will be too late. Verse 26, then wisdom will laugh at us. After crying out to us again and again, turn back, then wisdom will laugh at us and mock us. Do you see it? And do you see why? Because they hated knowledge, it says, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would not have any of my counsel and despised all my reproof, and therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The Spirit is calling to you. Take a different way. The consequences of folly will catch up with you. Don't delay. Turn to the Lord. Confess these things to him. Ask Jesus to forgive you in his name. And fear the Lord. And he will make you wise. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of wisdom and for the hope that we can live in accordance with your design for this world, for the hope of all the riches of your kingdom made available to us in Jesus. Make us wise, Lord. Forgive us for turning away. Forgive us for our folly. Make us wise. And we will praise you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.